Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. This whole week in the Christian church around the world, and when I say the Christian church, I mean those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, uh, we've been celebrating what's known as Holy Week. And the idea behind Holy Week is it's the last week of the life of Jesus while He was on earth, and it started with Him coming into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and, and crowds saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, and it ended with Him being crucified and then rising up out of the grave, rising from the dead. And uh, that's what we've been looking at all week. And I just want to remind you, before I get into the message that I have, I want to remind you of who Jesus is. You know, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, this one that believers, Christians, followers of Jesus around the world worship and bow to, this one is one that we claim was born of a virgin. This one that lived a sinless life. This one who preached messages that have never been heard before with an authority and a weight and a penetration of the human heart unlike anybody that had ever spoken. This one who healed sick bodies, who raised dead people, including a man who'd been dead for four days named Lazarus. This one who caused fish and loaves, a few fish and loaves to be multiplied so that thousands could be fed. This one who spoke like nobody ever spoke, who did things nobody ever did, and ultimately this one who we, you and me, not just people 2,000 years ago, but you and me, our sin crucified, put on a Roman torture device. This is the one that we worship. And the, the power of his life is finished with an exclamation, I shouldn't say finished, but An exclamation point is put on the end of Holy Week when he rises from the dead and he shows that he has authority over death. But now many of us, I know many of us in this room, struggle with doubt. Many of us struggle with skepticism. Hopefully you don't struggle, it hasn't turned over into cynicism. You haven't become jaded. But even so, all of us in life are going to have doubts. And sometimes people will tell you that doubts are bad. The doubting is bad. You never want to speak your doubts. You never want to talk about your doubts. And that's an absolute lie. Now, when doubts turn into unbelief, and there is a difference between doubting and unbelieving, but when doubts turn into into unbelief, then they can become poison to us. But when doubts turn into inquiry, when doubts turn into asking questions and going deeper and seeking more, when doubts turn into that, they lead us to truth. And I want to take you today into the life of a man that many of you will be familiar with named Thomas. Unfortunately, he's been branded Doubting Thomas. And that's really sad because Thomas was a brilliant man who was devoted to Jesus Christ. He was loyal to Jesus Christ. But he had had his life rocked when Jesus died. Now let me remind you how Luke chapter 23 ends in 23 Verses 33 and 34 and verses 46, it says this, And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. 
Verse 46. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice, this is while he's hanging on the cross, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. He was taken down from the cross and he was put into a tomb, a borrowed tomb, a rich man's tomb, a tomb that would only be used for a few days. And it takes me to where we're going to go today, and that is this beautiful poem by Philip Brooks. He says this, Tomb, thou shalt hold, thou shalt not hold him longer. Death is strong, but life is stronger. Stronger than the dark, the light. Stronger than the wrong, the right. Faith and hope triumphant say, Christ has risen on Easter day. Amen? Three days later, we know Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples. But Thomas, this one disciple, was not present when this happened. So he didn't believe it. He didn't believe it. And what I want to do today in setting up my message is show you a video that is really from the perspective of Thomas. This is maybe what it was like for Thomas when he was wrestling with whether Jesus was risen from the dead. So if we can go ahead and queue up that video, and if I can get an usher to get the lights, I would appreciate it. Hard to be judged for one mistake, but it's what I'll be remembered for, I guess. I wasn't always the doubter. That's not who I am. I have a zeal for Jesus. I always have. When Lazarus died, no one wanted to return to Bethany with Jesus. The atmosphere there was volatile and dangerous. Jesus said he'd show us his glory. I assumed we'd all die there. Still, I'm the one who said, let's go. But then, then came this room. At the time, none of us understood as we sat at that table. This is my body? This is my blood? He raised the dead. He, he cast out demons even. What could he possibly mean? I didn't doubt it when they told me he was dead. But how can you not doubt someone coming back to life? Some didn't doubt. But for me, it was harder. Maybe it was just that I didn't want to be disappointed. Many came after me who believed without seeing what I saw. Jesus called them blessed. Yes, I touched the place of the nails, the hole in his side. Such definitive proof that I cried out, my Lord, my God, 
But that wasn't the only amazing thing. The Almighty One, He came back for me. He didn't want to leave me behind in my doubt. He says, I'm worth that. And I'll follow Him anywhere for the rest of my life. We pick up the story of Thomas in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, notice that, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I want to take you through this text and just point some truths out to you that I hope will fit your life. I, I hope you'll be able to take yourself and put yourself in the story, especially if you're here today and you would consider yourself maybe a doubter or maybe someone who's skeptical. And I don't mean that in a negative way. You're just, you're not sure about this Christian stuff, this Jesus follower stuff, this organized religion stuff. You're not sure about it. I, I want to encourage you to put yourself in the story. And this is what I want to tell you. The Lord can handle your doubts. Your doubts are not repellent to Him. He loves to make himself known to people who struggle with doubt because we all struggle with doubt, amen? amen? Now, the first point I want you to see is this. Because Jesus is risen, we're never alone. Thomas wasn't with the disciples when Jesus first appeared. And if you read between the lines here, it implies an unnatural absence. They were hiding together. They were afraid that the authorities were going to do to them what they had done to Jesus. They were afraid to be in public, and yet he was out of fellowship with them. Something had happened. Something had affected his heart so much that he was willing to take the risk of leaving the safety of this company and be out in public, even though he knew it could cost him his life. Was he bitter? Was he disillusioned? Did he just need to take a walk for a couple days? We don't know. Had he withdrawn from his friends just for that time, his absence is a great illustration for the importance of being with the people of God. For it's then that Jesus appears. I found over the years, and it's, it's a sad reality, but I found that oftentimes people who are followers of Christ are missing out on a key element of their Christian experience. Because 
Maybe they get disappointed with the church or somebody does something to, you know, to hurt them, to wound them, or they go through an experience with fellow believers, or they just kind of get bored. You know, they just kind of get done with it. And they separate themselves and they put themselves outside of fellowship for a time, and they don't realize in those moments and in those times that they're missing out on the revelation of Jesus Christ. For Jesus came to the other ten He came to them, and the women. He came to them, he appeared to them, he manifested himself to them. But Thomas wasn't there. He had withdrawn, and because he'd withdrawn, he missed seeing the resurrected Christ. I see it all the time. I see God begins to move in our midst and do things in our midst. People are coming to Christ. People are being touched and healed. People are being brought nearer to the Lord. And I think, or a message comes forth that is exactly what a person needs to hear. You can just, you can see, oh, if that person was here, God could do something in them. And I'm not saying that that puts you out of God's reach. But I am saying that there are moments that you can miss in God because you put yourself away. You separate yourself. And yet, in spite of all that, in spite of Thomas not being with his friends, Jesus was still present with him. And we know that because the things he spoke to his brothers, Jesus addressed directly when he came to Thomas. That means he was right there when Thomas was saying, unless I can touch the holes in his hands and put my hand in his side, I won't believe. What's the first thing Jesus does when he shows up? Hey, Thomas, check it out. Hey, Thomas, here you go. That's what you needed? Here you go. I love that. He loved Thomas so much that he met him right where he was at. Secondly, because Jesus is risen, our deepest doubts are answered again unless I touch unless I feel unless I can handle I will never believe Thomas doubted though 10 of his best friends and three women were declaring that Jesus had appeared to them some have tried to discount his doubt as a small thing but to God it was noteworthy it's all through the gospels the scriptures indicate in the other gospels that the other disciples also doubted but without the weight of evidence that Thomas had presented to him. I love the fact that 13, excuse me, 10, uh, 10 apostles and three women had seen Jesus. And let me remind you of something. The first three to really see Jesus in his resurrection and the first to declare his resurrection were women. While the men were hiding, shaking in a room, the women were there at the cross and at the tomb. While the men were hiding away, licking their wounds, the women were there to see him risen from the dead and then to go out and proclaim it and declare it. And I've seen that over the years in the church. Many times it's the women of the church that are the most faithful. They're the ones that lay down their lives the most, the ones that sacrifice the most. And it's amazing to watch. I think it's a beautiful thing. And yet in spite of all of these witnesses, Thomas is like, nope, I don't care that you're trustworthy men. I don't care that I've lived with you for three and a half years. I don't care that we all saw Jesus do the same thing. It's not good enough for me. I have to touch. I have to feel. I have to experience. Nevertheless, Jesus met him. He loved him that much. Also, because Jesus is risen, he's always near. He's always present. It says that eight days later, and Thomas was with them, 
The doors were locked. They were in this room, and the doors were locked, and Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, put your finger here and put your hand here. I want you to think about that. The doors were locked. We see the quality of the resurrection body here. We see that unique property of what a resurrection body is like. They're in a room with walls and doors locked, and all of a sudden, think about it. And Jesus is there, right? And he's not a spirit. Some cults say that he came as a ghost. He came as a spirit. But a spirit can't say, hey, put your hand here. Put your fingers here. Hey, you guys got some food? Because we know in another account of the resurrection, he specifically to show them that he was really, you know, risen in bodily form. He said, let's eat some food together. So here he was. He appears in the room in spite of their locked doors and their walls. I want you to think about your own life. Because many times we in our lives, we, because of wounds, hurts, our sin, shame, whatever it may be, we put up walls, we put up barriers to keep God out, to keep his people out. We lock doors and we say this far and no more. I don't want God in this area. I don't want Jesus in this space. This space is my space. And yet, what do we find? Jesus comes right through those barriers. And he doesn't knock doors down. He doesn't even use a lock and key. He doesn't break down walls and kick them down. He appears in the room and manifests himself and comes right to Thomas. I want to tell you something. It doesn't matter what kind of walls you put up. It doesn't matter what kind of doors you lock. It doesn't matter the lengths you go through to keep God away. God can meet you right where you are. He can come right through your walls and right through your doors. Amen? The other thing this shows us is that Jesus is near and present everywhere. He is God. He's omnipresent, everywhere present. He was present when Thomas was speaking his doubts and saying, I got to see his hands and his side. He was present at that moment. This is another evidence of his deity, that he's not just a great preacher, a great leader. He is God in the flesh. And because Jesus is risen... He stands with us and gives us peace. It says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. You know, I found in my own life the true peace can only come to the human soul that is truly at peace with God. Peace with God is possible because Jesus died for us on the cross. When he rose from the dead, his death was adequate to pay sin's penalty. When Jesus declares peace to us, peace will come. Because he lives, we can have true and lasting peace. You know, sometimes our idea of peace is I got to get away from the conflict. That person, I can't be in their presence anymore. That job, that busy atmosphere, I can't be there. I need peace. And we think peace is external circumstances around us, things in our lives, people. And we think that's going to give us peace. So we withdraw from people, kind of like Thomas did. And we binge with Netflix, right? Or we go do whatever it is that we do to hide. And we don't recognize, well, we do recognize. Most of us have experienced the reality that at that point, we still don't have peace. Internally, we're still troubled. But Jesus Christ comes, the risen Christ comes to give peace. He comes to restore the soul. He comes to make you whole and right with God again. 
The word for peace in the Hebrew, shalom, means wholeness. Spirit, soul, body, the whole being. He can come to us and speak peace to us because he's alive. Amen? He's the prince of peace. Because Jesus is risen, his wounds now heal us. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. 1 Peter 2.24 says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. When Thomas saw Jesus' wounds, he knew that they were the wounds that could heal a doubting heart and a doubting soul. Thomas knew that Jesus' hands inside were the evidence of ultimate love. Go ahead, Thomas, touch them. I love you that much. Touch them. What is it going to take for you, buddy? Touch them. These wounds can heal you. They can heal your doubts. Did you know that when we stand before God one day, when we're in our eternal state, either in heaven or the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to look upon Jesus, and what's going to shock us and amaze us is, first of all, he has taken humanity, a body, a human body, a glorified human body, up into his divinity. And he is still in a human body. And we're going to look upon him, and I have no doubt that in his hands we will still behold wounds. And in his side we will still see wounds. And those wounds won't be a testimony that will cause us shame. Those wounds will cause us forever to look upon his love scars. His love wounds, and we'll see forever those wounds made it possible for me to be here. Made it possible for me to know you. Made it possible for me to be whole and right with you. Amen? You know, as a young man, the preacher D.L. Moody was called upon to preach at a funeral sermon. And he hunted all through the four Gospels. He was trying to find one of Jesus' funeral sermons, but he searched in vain. He found that Christ broke up every funeral he ever attended. Death couldn't exist where he was. When the dead heard his voice, they sprang to life. Jesus said of himself, I am the resurrection and the life. And he is the healer. Amen? Job Corps students, so see you guys. Their bus is here. We'll be done. Hey, listen, tell them we'll be done in uh, four minutes. Maybe. Next, because Jesus is risen, he can command us to believe. Did you just hear that? Because Jesus is risen, he can command us to believe. He says to Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. Many times the reasons we doubt is because we don't want to change our lives. We're not intellectually being honest with ourselves. We know that God is real. We know Jesus is unique. We know we are sinners and that we need God but we also know that to follow him is going to require radical change. And the problem is, is we think this. We think, I have to get my act together. I have to get all this stuff out of my life. And when I've jumped through these hoops and I've done enough to make God happy, then I can come to Christ and he'll clean me up and fix me up after I've kind of cleaned myself up a bit. But the gospel says, come as you are. Come as you are right now. Right? We, we think, I'll clean myself up, and then I'll come to God. God says, you come to me, and I'll clean you up. 
I'll work from the inside out. I'll deal with the true issue of the heart. I'll lay my axe to the root of your spirit, your soul, your body, that sin inside of you. I'll lay my axe to the root. But if you think you're going to kind of do enough good works, jump through enough good ho- I mean, hoops, and, and you know, fulfill the commandments, and then once you get there, once you've cleaned yourself up, once you've dealt with your addiction, or once you've dealt with that thing that causes you shame, then God will accept you. The truth of the gospel is you come as you are with all your ugliness, all your sin, all your death, all your self-righteousness. You bring it to the foot of the cross. You turn from it. You turn to him and what he's done and you lay it at the cross and experience that divine exchange where he takes your sin and your death and your shame and your guilt and he gives you his rightness, his goodness, his holiness, his spirit and he changes you from the inside out. That's gospel. So he commands us, believe. Stop your unbelief, Thomas. Stop it. It's not getting you anywhere. You know, it's almost like today in some circles, doubt and unbelief is cool. Doubt and unbelief is not cool. Doubt is normal. It's human. But unbelief is poison. Unbelief separates people from God. There comes a point where you have to settle the issues. And you have to say, I'm done with being my own God. I'm done with being my own Lord. I'm done with trying to do life on my own and my own energy, wisdom, strength. I'm done with it. I'm going to do it God's way. I'm coming to the cross. I'm giving him all that I am, which isn't much. And then he raises us up and gives us all that he is. Because Jesus is risen, he is Lord and God. Thomas's confession, my Lord and my God is profound. He's actually the first one that we find in the gospel records to call Jesus God. Others implied it, but he actually calls him my Lord and my God. His confession of Jesus is revolutionary for a Jew of that time. If it were not true, it would be considered blasphemy and punishable by stoning. Thomas is calling Jesus Yahweh. He's saying, you're the God of the Old Testament. You're the one that appeared to Moses in the burning bush. You're that God, that mysterious God who met him on the mountain and delivered the Ten Commandments. My Lord and my God, he's acknowledging the deity of Jesus Christ. He's saying, you are the creator. The one whose name by Jews was not even spoken. They wouldn't say his name because they revered it so much. Thomas is saying, you're that one. And we know it's true because Jesus never stops him and says, Thomas, that's too far. Whoa, 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 hold back. I'm just a God. Or I'm a a great religious teacher. Or I've entered into a state of nirvana. Or whatever you want to say. He doesn't say any of that. He says, I am God. He agrees with Thomas. He's the true God, the only one to become a human and suffer and live like we, like us. We can trust the one who's walked in our shoes. He's been there. And lastly, because Jesus is risen, we can believe though we haven't seen. Jesus pronounces a special blessing on those who believe without seeing. In verse 29, it says, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who in here has not physically seen Jesus Christ and yet you have believed? Just keep your hand up a minute. Blessed are you. 
Blessed are you. Do you understand the special blessing that lays upon your life? You've seen him with a different set of eyes. You've seen him with the eyes of the heart, the eyes of the spirit. You've come to taste and see that he's good. You know he's real. But there's a special blessing on you. You and I haven't had the benefit of touching his hands or his side, and yet we've believed. What a God. Did you know all over this world, Tens of thousands of people a day. Did you know that? Tens of thousands of people a day are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. They're seeing him the same way that you and I are, by faith. Jesus is Lord and God, and he commands us, don't disbelieve, but believe. Amen.